So let's just jump into the word and we'll just jump into our context this morning of remembering what is going on in Thessalonica. So as Paul was fleeing the persecution there in, in Philippi and he comes to Thessalonica, there's this habit that Paul had is going on these different missionary journeys is he'd find those who feared the true and living God first. And clearly that's going to be in the context of the Jewish culture. So he's stepping into the synagogues. And as a traveling teacher and preacher, they're inviting them to, to communicate. What do you have to share? And as he's opening the scrolls in those contexts, in those days, and in that place, he begins to open up the word of God to his fellow countrymen, Jews and Gentiles, god fears in this community. And he's saying, this is who the Bible says that the Christ will be. And I am telling you that the Christ is this man, Jesus. This man, Jesus, who is our God, who became a man. This man who, as he interacted with his people, was demonstrating continually compassion and love. He had this anointing to be able to heal, to be able to cast out demons. This, this testimony that was granting to the culture, again, in, we were having this conversation this morning that I have a constant prayer that God will manifest himself, not just to us, but to all, in a way that stops people in their tracks. That we in this room who we know Jesus and we have a relationship with him, that every single day that God would capture our attention in a way that stops us in our tracks where we have to recognize that is our God. This is from you, Lord. This is who you are. This is what you're providing. This is what you're doing. This is where you're directing my mind and heart. This is how you are giving me strength. This is what you were directing me to do this morning. But it seems in this community in Thessalonica that they were presented the gospel, the information about who Jesus Christ is, what he did, what he taught, the astonishing things about his teaching, the astonishment of what he did on the cross, the astonishment of his resurrection, the astonishment of his ascension. The first lyric that we sang this morning is that he is coming with clouds. And it's a big context of what we're dealing with this morning in this letter to the Thessalonians is the second coming, the return, the presence of God, of Jesus when he comes back. And this culture has responded to who Jesus is. But in, the, in, the, in receiving Jesus as their king, as their savior, uh, it, they have received Jesus in the midst of persecution. Paul flees from Thessalonica in the midst of persecution. His concern is he sends Timothy back to go and find out how they're doing. Has Satan won the victory in their life? Has the tempter been able to tempt them away from Jesus? And Timothy brings back this testimony. And Paul writes the first letter to the Thessalonians, encouraging them, strengthening them in the face of the persecution that they're enduring day in and day out. So as we step into the context of 2 Thessalonians, this second letter, it seems that this persecution has intensified in their community. And what happens in persecution, people come up with all the different reasons why. And unless that the foundation of our answer is on Jesus and Jesus alone and his truth, 
If we are getting answers from any other source, it brings about a lot of uncertainty. So you can tell that there is uncertainty in regards to Jesus as their king and as their savior. And uh, when he's going to return, there's been a letter in this community, whether it's people physically saying Jesus has already come and you've missed the the kingdom of God. Um, It seems that somebody wrote a letter in Paul's name that they forged a letter that uh, we'll see in, in just Paul's language this morning that people are promoting lies about Jesus, about his coming, about his return. They're promoting false doctrine. And in this community, it's creating all of this uncertainty. So as Paul, with this heart that is madly in love with God, this heart that is madly in love with these people, this man wants to write this letter of encouragement and exhortation and teaching and reminder. So we watch again Paul just filled with the Holy Spirit as he pins this information down. So let's read through the whole letter in context. It's a couple chapters shorter than 1 Thessalonians, packed with a lot. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God... In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints, to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, We also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, brethren... Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. 
Let no one deceive you by any means. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and uh, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth, and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has beloved us, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it was with you, and that we, we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know 
how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet, do not count him as an enemy, but warn him, admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So I lifted this phrase for the title of the message this morning from uh, chapter 2, verse 10, and it says, the love of the truth. Again, as we we walk through just the heart behind what Paul is communicating, it is the love of the truth. I recognize that it is God revealing his truth to me and waking up my mind and heart in, in a way that has caused me to love his truth that compels me every single day. So as these individuals, as this congregation is sitting in the midst of persecution, what is it that is going to enable them to continue to endure in the midst of that persecution? It's clearly God and their relationship with God. But it is their love for the truth of God, defined as Jesus Christ himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It is their love for Jesus that enables them in their context, that strengthens them in their context, that comforts them in their context, that gives them the wisdom that they need in their context. The love of the truth. I lift that out of its context because it's talking about individuals who did not receive the love of the truth. Because in our, when our hearts sit in this position, if I am not pursuing God in love for his truth, for his revelation in that moment, but I am rejecting his truth for my own, we'll call it reality, I want to believe this, I want this to, believe, to be true, that position of rejecting him We sit in the gravity 
and the reality that when Jesus comes with the clouds, that those who love the truth are on one side, those who did not receive the love of the truth are on the other side, and those that are on that side that they are removed from and cast away from his presence and destroyed for all eternity. It brings this weight and this gravity to the reality of who our God is and who we are in him in all of our contexts. So in this context for them, go back to chapter 1 verse 3. And this is Paul is, is stepping into their context. He is writing to encourage them. He is praising and thanking God for them. The things that well up in his mind in regards to these individuals, it is their love for the truth whereby their faith is growing exceedingly. If you do not love the truth, your faith will not grow. We taught, Julie and I were talking about this this week. It's a we just in how God has created us and wired us and many of you are going to recognize this. Those of you who are students of God's word, those of you who have to teach God's word or have taught it in different contexts, it is the love of the truth that compels you to dig in. It is the love of his truth that, Lord, show me what this means and, and, and let these words be written upon my heart in a way, Lord, that again, where my faith is going to grow, where it's not just growing for my own boasting, but it's growing in a way that is bringing about your fruit in my life. The love of the truth is causing their faith to grow exceedingly. And not only is their belief, their trust, their confidence in God growing, their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ, it says their love, every one of you is abounding in your love towards each other. If you hate the truth, if you're rejecting God's truth, your love for other human beings will not grow. And this boast, Paul is saying, I am boasting, I'm bragging about you to other congregations and to other communities because even though you are sitting in the midst of persecution and tribulation, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you are patiently enduring. And this patient endurance, so all the, your faith growing, your love abounding, your patient endurance in Jesus, in the face of trials and persecutions, Paul says that this process in your life, it is a manifest evidence. It is proof of God's righteous judgment, his legal declaration that you are righteous in him. Your love for the truth, the love that he has given to you to love his truth, your faith growing, your love abounding, you patiently enduring in the midst of whatever that context, whether it's persecution for the name of Jesus or it's just a trial and tribulation of, in life. All of those things together are a manifest evidence to you and to God that he has made you worthy in his son. He has declared you in a legal judgment to be righteous. 
And then there's the other side of the coin. When we talk about the return of Jesus Christ, when we talk about that day, when we sing these these lyrics that Jesus is coming with clouds, when you go and read Revelation 19 and we have the testimony of when Jesus shows up, what does he do? Thessalonians in these letters talks about he comes with all of his saints, the angels, the redeemed ones, us with him, glorified, resurrected with him and all of his grandeur and all of his beauty. But when Jesus comes back, what is he doing? A sword, which is the word of God that proceeds out of his mouth, is executing all of those who stand in opposition to him. So when we talk about the day of the Lord, for those of us who are in God, who are in Jesus, we are the church of Calvary Chapel of Alpharetta in Jesus. That day will be the most glorious day in all of human history. For those who are in the position of rejecting the Lord, of hating the truth, it will be the most miserable day in all of human history. And all that we read in Revelation, again, is we're talking about Paul is exhorting them to continue in their persecution, enduring to the end. Why? Because Jesus is going to repay those who are persecuting you when he is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming, again, just uh, our imagination in all of this, I know breaks down, but we still want to bring about our imagination in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. This punishment, it's an everlasting destruction and that description that we have throughout the word of God this everlasting destruction it's because there's this eternal permanent forever separation from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power he will be glorified in that day in his saints those who believe all of them will admire him and worship him And the prayer for them and for us, God, you are the one who makes us worthy of your calling. You summon us to you. You are the one who fulfills all of your good pleasure in your goodness in our life. Would you fulfill the work of faith with power in my life, Jesus, and in our congregation? May the Lord, the name of Jesus, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, may he be the one who is glorified, exalted, magnified, lifted up. And not just him, but you in him, not independent of him, but in him. And this is all according from down from dominated by the grace of our God. Paul is bringing up all of this information, one, because of the persecution that they're enduring, but two, because there are people in the the community with lying doctrines, with lying words, that are there motivated by the disobedience and the rebellion of Satan, who we see all the way in the very beginning 
who has been there to attempt to strip away God's glory in our obedience to God and our relationship with God, to lead us into disobedience, to lead us into deception. But Paul's warning, his exhortation, his encouragement to you and to them is that we would not be quickly or hastily shaken in our minds and our relationship with God. People come to us in our culture in this time with all different kinds of winds of doctrine. They will, we, you can go get on the internet and if you want to hold an opinion rather than having a love for the truth but having a love for your own opinion and what you think is right, if you love an opinion, you can go out there and you can find a whole crowd in agreement with you that want to hold on to this lie and this deception. And in our relationship with Jesus, what does he constantly tell us to do? Watch, be sober, remember, remember the word of God. Anything that is spoken to you, test it. What does the word of God say? Does this line up with the word? This person has just spoken this thing to me. Is this what the word of God really says? But people will say things to us that will shake our mind and shake our hearts and cause us to tremble easily. We can, we can list, somebody says that this is true, and for this context, it's Jesus, you have missed the coming of the Lord. And Paul is, don't let your mind be so suddenly shaken by those words, whether a spirit spoke it or another human being spoke it or somebody forged a letter and signed my name to it. Don't be so suddenly shaken and in agreement with all these other opinions. Be slow. Be prayerful. Have a love for the truth and that love for Jesus. He is the one who says that he is faithful and that he will continue to lead us in all of these things. And then Paul, in, in, to bring about great clarity in regards to the return of Jesus Christ, the Old Testament and the New Testament are very clear of what the world is going to look like prior to that event. And for this, he says that their first, their first has to be this falling away. And then this man of sin or this man of lawlessness must be revealed. Falling away, this is the word where we get apostasy from. That we are told by, even Jesus says in, in Matthew 24, that if it, if it were possible, the deception of the time right before he returns, if it were possible, you know, the deception is going to be so great that the elect could even be deceived. Now again, uh, you know, Jesus holds on to us. Um, we need to, again, the, the exhortation here is that we wouldn't believe lies, that we wouldn't turn away. But there are those mentions in the word of God that give us great pause in regards to can you be in agreement with the Lord at one point in life and that at another point, because of persecution or because of a lie, turn away from the Lord and say, no. That is what most think that this falling away is, that those who name the name of Christ, 
They're holding his name, but they don't have true faith. They don't have true salvation. They're holding on to uh, their own idol in regards to who they define Jesus as. There is going to be this great falling away because the love of many is going to grow cold. And it's during this time that this man of sin, so Daniel especially and Revelation give us great definition for who John calls the anti Christ, the one who stands in opposition to Christ, opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. So not just the God who created the heavens and the earth, not just Jesus Christ, but all that humanity would call God, this individual, motivated and empowered by the power of Satan himself, the working of Satan, will lift himself up. And again, this is a, as we sit in like application of this, any time that we are standing in opposition to God, when Peter stood in opposition to Jesus in regards to his death and his resurrection, what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Paul, or Peter's opposition to Jesus was motivated by Satan. It was motivated by the thoughts of Satan and by the workings of Satan, the flesh. This is uh, always the heart, always the motivation behind the heart who is in opposition to God. That, um, that position, in regardless of our context of life, believer or unbeliever, that opposition to God is always motivated by Satan. The, the desire to lift ourselves up. Gordon and I were talking this morning and Nathan just uh, how often we want to sit on the throne and, throne and exalt ourselves above God's will. What God says. This is what God says or here's this circumstance and we want to give God counsel. This is what you need to do. I am lifting up my needs, my circumstances, my will above who I call God. This is this man of sin. This is one of the passages, and there are others. The temple of God in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. For this man of lawlessness in the future to sit as God in the temple of God, there must be a future rebuilding of the temple of God in Jerusalem. That will be a temple built by man. It will never be inhabited by the glory of God, but will be inhabited by this man of lawlessness. What's fascinating is Paul gave all of this information in just a few weeks with all of these believers. Is he is describing who Jesus Christ is. This is who God is. This is how he died for your sins. This is how he has covered you, how he has redeemed you, how he has freed you, how he has given you eternal life. This is who he is as Lord in your life today. At the same time, that message contained, this is who he is in his coming, in his glory. When he comes as king, all that is standing in opposition to him will be destroyed. But today, in verse 6, it talks about, and again, there's, there you read 
10 commentaries, you can come up with 10 different opinions on verse 6 in regards to what is it that is restraining right now. And not only what, but who, because personal pronouns are being used also. He who now restrains will be taken out of the way. In history, the Roman Empire has been identified, the Emperor of Rome has been identified, the church has been identified, an angel, the Apostle Paul, the law. There's all these different ideas in regards to what is it that is restraining and or who is it that is restraining. I know for, you know, the circles that I sit in and in the teachings that Often we are looking, it is the Holy Spirit indwelling in the body of Christ that is restraining evil in this world. That when the body of Christ is removed and caught up to the Lord in the air for those seven years of tribulation as the wrath of God is being poured out on this world, that we are looking as the Holy Spirit is the one who is restraining this kind of evil from being uh, rampant in this world. I press into that in agreement, but it's also something that I hold loosely, loosely in the sense that I think ultimately he who is restraining is God. And whatever context that is, whether that's God in the church, whatever, it is God is the one who is restraining evil in this world. And often we hear this comment of, if God is good or if God exists, why is there all of this evil in this world? And there is this question that can come back. Can you imagine the evil in this world that human beings would do to one another if God were not there restraining humanity? Our God is in full sovereign control restraining evil in this world. When he stops restraining, that is when we see the events of the book of Revelation. And the the events of the book of Revelation leave all of us in silent astonishment. At one, the wrath of God This holy being will have absolutely nothing to do with sin and has given himself so that we can have nothing to do with sin. And when we say, when we bend the knee and when we receive the gospel, when we say, Jesus is my savior, this is what we are in agreement to. He is holy. And my sin has separated me for all eternity for destruction from him. And unless he intervenes and unless he makes me clean, unless he pays the price for my sin, I am incapable of being like him ever because that is gone and that is lost. And that is the hope that we have in the gospel. That when we say, Jesus, I believe that you are my God. I believe that you are my Savior. I receive your love. I receive your gift. I receive your cleansing. I hear you calling me to you. I hear you summoning me to you. 
I trust that you are God. I trust that you will, you have made me clean. I trust that you will continue to make me clean, that you will set me apart for your glory. It is this love for the truth that compels us to receive these things. I got like three minutes left. And I want to sit in this idea. So skip down to um, the end of chapter two. We're going to come back into this prayer. Paul giving thanks to God. It is God who has chosen us for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. We are exhorted to stand fast and to hold on to these truths, these teachings, these traditions. It is God who is the one who has loved us. He is the one that has given to us this encouragement, this everlasting encouragement, this everlasting consolation. He has given to us good hope by grace. He is the one who is comforting our hearts. He is the one who is establishing our hearts in every good work that we are attempting to do and every good word that we are attempting to speak. There our God is comforting us and establishing us. Why? Because in verse 3 of chapter 3, God is the one who is faithful. And I've had this, this has been a, a sentence that has been in my mind for about a month and a half. God is faithful. It's come up in context after context for me. And again, as it comes up in this, in this uh, letter, again, it's lifted up to the surface. God is the one who is faithful regardless of the circumstances that are going on. Would we continue to pray, not just for our congregation, but that the word of God, whoever is taking the word of God and whoever is preaching the word of God, that it would run swiftly and be glorified in the lives of people, that they would receive the love of the truth. But God is faithful. He is the one who establishes. God is the one who is faithful to guard us. But it was this phrase here in verse 4. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you. When I first read that sentence, you know, when you read something and you, you misread it and you say something different than it says, I was, I was stuck because I read it that, uh, that I have confidence concerning you. And I thought about that for a minute, that uh, when you look at your brothers and sisters in Christ, do you have confidence in them that they're going to obey the Lord? Do you have confidence in them that they're going to continue to love the Lord? It gave me pause for a second as I, as I misread what the Word of God said. Because what does it say? I have confidence in the Lord concerning you. And when you read it correctly, it's very encouraging for me that I do, I have confidence in God concerning you. I have confidence that God is your God. I have confidence that God is faithful to you. I have confidence that God will provide for you. I have confidence that God is the one who is strengthening you. That God is the one who is working in you. That God is the one who has chosen you. He has called you. He has given to you the faith that you need to receive him. 
I have confidence in God that he is sanctifying you, making you devoted and set apart to him for his work, for his glory. I have great confidence in Jesus concerning you. And as Paul is this, the, the reason why he is writing this, there are those in this community that are lying. They are preaching deceptive words. These deceptive words are bringing about disorder in the community. They're bringing disorder in doctrine, and they're also bringing disorder in behavior. And part of this in regards to the soon return of the Lord, if Jesus is going to come back tomorrow, then let's just all quit and stop working, right? And that seems to be what's going on in this community that Paul, we gave you an example as we were in your presence. We worked and we toiled. We didn't, we didn't, uh, we weren't a financial burden to you. We left you an example, but there are those in this community who are being a financial burden and they're not working with their hands, but they're working with their mouths as they're going from house to house and meddling in each other's business. Paul says, If anyone will not work, he shall not eat. But what do you do with such individuals who are being disorderly and irresponsible in the body of Christ? Paul's exhortation in verse 13, and this is is something that we can all hold on to in our current context. Brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. And that word there for growing weary, it's, it's becoming a coward. Lord, I'm tired of persecution. I'm tired of uh, tribulation. I'm tired of this circumstance. I'm tired of doing all of this work for no fruit. There's this, there's this uh, a weariness that can happen in our souls and our minds. And we all need the Lord to cause us to be courageous to continue to move forward. Do not grow weary in doing good. But for the brother or sister who is not obedient, who is being disorderly, we are told that we are to note those individuals in the, in, in the congregation and in the body of Christ. And where it says don't keep company with them, the idea is don't mix together with them. It's, it's, we're very clearly told don't count them as your enemy. But this is an honor-shame culture where You are not mixing company. You're having conversation. This is what Jesus says, and you are acting in disobedience to who Jesus is as our Lord and as our Savior. You are not demonstrating a love for the truth, but you are demonstrating a rejection of the truth. That person needs to be warned. Their opinion, their life, their path that they are on, we are told don't mix company with that. It's not have nothing to do with them and avoid them and heap all these coals and, you know, you're sinner, you're going to hell, you've sinned, you know, you're cast, you're cut off, all that kind of stuff because God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is attempting to bring about his righteousness in your life just as he's attempting to bring about righteousness in that person's life. But again, we are not to have mixed company, mixed minds. We are not to be one with Satan, ultimately, because Satan is the one who brings about disorder. So warn and admonish that brother. Chris and family, come on up. Father, we just want to, we want to continue to give you thanks for your good word. 
There are letters like this that when we read through the entire context, there's a lot of heavy things. There's a, there's a lack of clarity of what's going on in this community. But we know that these people who are our brothers and sisters in Christ were being hated, were being opposed, were being persecuted because they bent their knee to you as king. We know that, Lord, this enemy of our souls, when we bend our knee to you, he attempts to stand up in opposition to you as our God. He attempts to stand up and to stir up hatred and falsehood. He brings all these questions of distrust and lies and he brings about pride and boasting and self and but we have your constant word lord that brings about great comfort that you are the one who is causing our faith our trust in you lord our hope in you our confidence to grow you are the one who lets us see jesus every day you let us see the cross. You let us see his provision. You let us see his compassion. You let us see him reach out and touch the sick, Lord. You let us see him free people and free us from, from chains and from bondage. You let us see the freedom that is there. You let us see his grace. You let us see his rest. Cause us to have this great hope, this great confidence that the day of the Lord, the day that you come, Jesus, in the clouds, the day that you come with all of your saints, that we're in that group. We're with you forever. Not cast away from your presence, not separated from you, but invited in to your glory and into your love. Heart, this world, Lord, is, is, is filled with, with misery. It's filled with lies. It's filled with all of these different distractions. It's filled with these things that don't matter. It's filled with busybodies. It's filled with people who are trying to make a name for themselves, who want to tear down the name of Jesus. world is filled with opposition to you. But Lord, each one of us wants to give you thanks that you cause us to love the truth. And for any one of us, Lord, that is struggling with that love and that passion, would you revive our hearts this morning? Lord, may we consider there to be nothing greater than knowing you. That is where we find life. That is where we find hope. That is where we find endurance. That's where we find love. That's where we find your abounding grace. We worship you, Lord, as a family. It's in Jesus' name we pray.